0: in Matthew 28 this morning, Matthew 28, and we're going to begin reading from verse 1 this morning, Matthew 28, (coughs) verse 1, it says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, And behold, there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said, comes to the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. (coughs) Let's um, begin our time with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather this morning around your word. Lord, we pray that this morning you would speak to each of our hearts. We pray that you would challenge us, you would meet us where we're at. Lord, you would refresh us as we consider, Lord, the resurrection story. That wonderful, glorious morning when Christ arose. Lord, may we just leave this morning singing praises to your name, giving all glory and honor unto you. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit as only you can. Lord, it would be your words. It would be your thoughts this morning. and Lord, you would uh, receive all the glory and honor and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, of course, on Friday, <coughs> being Good Friday, we came together and we considered Christ crucified there on the cross. We saw him put to death. Unjustly. Pilate, of course, on three occasions had said that he was innocent. I find no fault in this man, and yet still he, he gave him up to be crucified there on the cross, an innocent man. And Christ suffered, he bled, and he died, and he did it, of course, for us. He died so that we might live. And we saw those wonderful, glorious words that Christ cried out from the cross in John 19, verse 30. It is finished. You know, what a wonderful. A glorious declaration that Christ made. It is finished. This work of salvation was complete. The sacrifice had been made. The redemption price had been paid in full. And of course, after this triumphant statement there on the cross, Christ then gave up the ghost. He died so that we might live. And in Matthew twenty-seven, verse fifty-seven to sixty-one, we then read of Christ's body being taken down and. Buried. Let's just read that. Matthew 27, verse 57, it says, And when, uh, when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. <clears throat> Sorry, out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. So then in Matthew 27, we see that this this man, Joseph of Arimathea, and according to John's gospel, also a man named Nicodemus, they come and they take the body of our Lord down from the cross and in haste they prepare his body for burial. And they lay him in a new tomb there in the the rock and roll of stone in front of the tomb. And so the stage was now set, you know, Christ's body is in the tomb, the tomb is sealed shut, the the stage story is now set for what would be the most glorious event of all, the resurrection. Now on the cross Christ cried out, in triumph it is finished. And the resurrection proves this declaration to be true, doesn't it? The resurrection proves the Lord's words to be true. The resurrection proves that Christ did indeed satisfy God's righteous demands with His death there on the cross. The resurrection proves that the price has indeed been paid in full for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of all mankind. The resurrection proves that salvation is now available to all through faith in what Christ did for us there on the cross. And so this morning we want to consider Matthew's account of that first resurrection morning. And we see first of all here this morning the women who came to the tomb. The women who came to the tomb. Look in verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. As verse 1 begins, we see the Sabbath has now passed. And it's the dawn of the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning. And the women are beginning to make their way back to the sepulchre as the as first light appears. They're on their way back to the tomb, back to where Christ's body was laid. Now Matthew here gives us the name of just two women. He tells us of these two Marys, Mary Magdalene, and he says, the other Mary. Now, the other Mary is the mother of James and Joseph, no, Matthew 27. 56 tells us that. And so we have these two Marys who come together, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And while Matthew only tells us about these two coming, these two Marys, we know that they were not alone as they came to the sepulcher that morning. In Mark 16 and verse 1, we read of Siloam also coming with them. In Luke 24 and verse 10, we're told that Joanna is with them. And then Luke says, and others also. And so we have at least these four by name, but then we have other women as well who come this morning to the sepulchre. And so this is quite a large group, isn't it? Quite a large group of women who make this journey early on that Sunday morning back to the sepulchre. And of course they've come to complete the burial process. Now the body of the Lord have been, as we just read in Matthew 27, have been prepared in haste. You now they quickly... Uh, prepared the body quickly, wrapped it in the fine linen cloth and laid in the tomb. They hadn't had time to do all of the burial preparation. And so these women are coming to complete the process, anointing the body with spices. Just turn to Matthew 16. uh, Sorry, Mark 16, because Mark tells us this. Mark 16. (coughs) Mark 16 and verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James... And Salome uh, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So this is the reason for their visit. They've come with these spices to anoint the body of Christ to complete the burial process. And so as they come to the tomb that morning, they're fully expecting to see a tomb that's sealed shut. They're fully expecting to find the body of the Lord. That's why they're bringing these spices. They're going to anoint his body. Now, just a few nights earlier, these same women had stood and watched as Christ was crucified there on the cross. They'd watched as Christ had suffered, bled and died. Mark chapter 15, let's just turn there. Mark 15 tells us of them standing by and watching all this take place. Mark 15, verse 39, says, And when the centurion which stood over against him, saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women, which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And so these same women had been there at the cross. They'd witnessed Christ crucified. They would watched the whole event unfold. And then, of course, Mary and the other Mary, these two Marys, had stood and seen where Christ was buried. We saw that in Matthew 27, verse 61. They'd followed to the tomb and watched as Christ's body had been laid, his lifeless body placed in the tomb. You see, they were in no doubt that he was dead, were they? Okay, they were in no doubt that Christ had indeed died on the cross. They'd seen him suffer. They witnessed his body taken down. They witnessed his body placed in the tomb. And as they made that journey back to the sepulchre that morning, they were not expecting to find anything other than a sealed tomb with the body of our Lord inside. You now this highlights to us the sad truth that these women, just like all the other disciples, had failed to believe And understand the words of the Lord. You know, Christ had on numerous occasions told them that he would rise again. And they would failed to believe. And so these women are in unbelief as they come to the tomb that morning. Just turn to Matthew 20 with me. Just one occasion. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 20 and verse 17. This is just one occasion where Christ prophesied that he die, be buried, and rose, rise again. Verse 17 of Matthew 20 says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. You now Christ had been very clear in telling his followers that he would die, he would be buried, he would rise again. And so they should not have been surprised to find an empty tomb on that Sunday morning. But they were surprised because they didn't believe. They lacked faith. They didn't understand this truth that Christ had taught. But you know, before we're too critical of the the women here, we must also at the same time recognize their love and their devotion to the Lord. Mustn't we? Their love and their devotion. Uh, Hendrickson writes this. He says, While we may criticize their lack of sufficient faith, a lack which they shared with the male disciples, let us not overlook their exceptional love and loyalty. They were at Calvary when Jesus died, in Joseph's garden when their master was buried, and now very early in the morning, here they are once more in order to look at the tomb. That is to see... To it that everything is in good order and anoint the body. Meanwhile, where were the eleven? It's a good question, isn't it? Where were the eleven? Now these these faithful women, they were at the cross, they were there as his body was buried, and now they come again this early this morning to anoint his body. <clears throat> you see, the point is, while everyone else was hiding in fear, and that's where the disciples were, they'd scattered in fear. These women, filled with love and devotion, come back early to the tomb to anoint his body. Yes, they lacked faith, but they certainly were not lacking in their devotion, were they? And their love for the Lord. Now, according to Mark chapter 16, as they walked, they're wondering amongst themselves how they're going to enter into the tomb, how they're going to get rid of the stone that's rolled in front of it. Let's go over there, Mark 16. <clears throat> I know we're turning between accounts this morning, but you have to to get a clear picture of what happens. On this morning, Mark 16 and verse 3 <clears throat> says this, And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And so they're questioning, they're wondering, How are we going to get in? How are we going to remove this large stone and get in to anoint the body of our Lord? You know, they had no idea how they were going to do this. You know, as To their surprise, as they come into view of the tomb, what do they see? They see a tomb that's wide open. The stone is rolled away. Verse 4 there in Mark 16 says, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. So when they arrive on the scene, the stone is rolled away. It's all wide open. This is not what they were expecting. This is not what they were looking to find. You know, when they left, the tomb was sealed shut. Not only that, but guards had been placed outside of the tomb. And yet now before them is a wide open tomb, and the guards are nowhere to be seen. And our passage here this morning tells us how this came to be. Let's go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're starting verse 1 again, just to refresh our minds. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And so before they've arrived on the scene, Matthew tells us that there's been this great earthquake and that the angel of the Lord has rolled back the stone, opened the the tomb wide. Now, of course, the angel didn't roll back the stone so that Christ could come forth. Christ, as we know, he could have left the tomb whenever he wanted. Indeed, he already had left the tomb. The angel rolled back the stone so that the women could see inside. And so Peter and John, when they came, could see inside. And so others could look inside and see for themselves that the tomb was empty. As I said, this has all occurred before the, the women arrive on the scene. And so as they come into view, what they see is just a tomb wide open and they're shocked by what they see. They're shocked and you can imagine the anxiety, can't you? You can imagine the anxiety, the fear that swept over them in that moment. To see the stone roll away immediately sets their minds racing with the idea that someone has stolen the body of their Lord. Someone has desecrated his tomb. You know, Mary Magdalene in particular... She's so distraught by what she sees and what she thinks has happened that she turns and she runs back to tell Peter and John. And we know that from John's gospel. Let's turn over there, John 20. In John 20, verse 1. John 20, verse 1, it says, The first day of the week came, uh, sorry, cometh Mary Magdalene early, When it was yet dark under the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Mary, distraught by what she sees, she runs back to tell Peter and John, to, to tell them that someone's stolen the body, someone's desecrated the tomb. And as Mary runs back with this terrible news, what she thought was the truth, as she runs back with this news, the other women, they draw nigh and they're now confronted by the angel of the Lord. And we see that secondly here this morning, the words of the angel, the words of the angel. Look in verse 5 with me. It says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. The words of the angel. As As the women arrive on the scene, what they now see is the angel, the angel of the Lord. And the angel immediately speaks to them and speaks with words of comfort. How does the angel begin? Verse 5, And the angel answered and said to the women, Fear not. They're wonderful, glorious words, aren't they? Anytime we see them in the word of God, those, those words are wonderful. Fear not. Now, it's easy to understand why they would be afraid, isn't it? You know, before them is an angel. And his appearance is described for us there in verse 3. It says, His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. No wonder they were afraid. We would all be afraid, wouldn't we? Now they saw this angel standing before them, and it's immediately unrecognizable that this is an angel. His countenance is like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And these angels, uh, sorry, These women here are filled with fear at the sight of the angel before them. In Luke 24... It describes them as falling down before the angel. Falling down to the earth. Just turn there, Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 4. It says, And they came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid... And bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? In Luke it tells us that there was actually two angels there. Matthew tells us of one. There's not really a discrepancy there. Matthew just talks about the one that speaks to them. Okay? But Luke tells us there was two angels there, and and at seeing the angels they fell down to their faces to the earth at the sight of them. Filled with fear. This was something they'd never seen before. This is an amazing, confronting thing, and immediately they're wondering why the angels are there, aren't they? You know, they're wondering what's the purpose of these angels. What does it mean? You know, Butler writes this in Old Testament times: to see an angel was thought to be a precursor to death. To see an angel was considered by them to see God, and to see God was death. You see, most Jews they feared seeing an angel. They saw it as You know, I'm going to die, I've seen an angel of the Lord. And so knowing this fear, and that's the fear that grips them here, knowing this fear, the angel sets their mind at ease with these wonderful words of comfort. The angel says, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Basically, the angel says, you have nothing to fear because I know why you're here. I know that you're here because of your loyalty to Christ. You're here because you're his friends and you've come to anoint his body. I know why you're here. Hendrickson writes this, in other words, you have no reason to fear for you are the loyal friends of Jesus. Yes, you have remained loyal to him even though the world despised and crucified him. It was to show loyalty that you came here this morning. That's basically what the angel says. He says, fear not, I know that you're loyal to Christ. I know why you're here this morning. You know, we might have expected a, a slightly different message from the angel. You know, perhaps a stern rebuke for their lack of faith. You know, why are you here? You should know Christ is risen. But instead, the angel begins by calming their fears, acknowledging their love and their devotion, acknowledging why they're there. And then the angel gives them the most joyous news they could ever hope to hear. Verse 6, the angel says, He is not here, for he is risen. That's some of the most glorious, wonderful words in the whole of the word of God. He is not here, for he is risen. Now, can you imagine the joy that must have flooded over those women in that moment as the angel told them this glorious news? The angel declared to them, that their Lord, their master, their friend, the one they loved, the one they were so devoted to, this one is risen again. He is alive. His body had not been stolen by grave robbers, as was their initial fear. The tomb had not been desecrated, but instead wonderfully, gloriously, Christ had risen from the dead. The grave was open, the grave was empty. Why? Because he is alive. You know, even for us today, these are wonderful, glorious words, are they not? He is not here, for He is risen. You know, this is the great announcement of Easter. This is the great announcement of Resurrection Sunday. Christ is alive. Death could not hold Him. It announces the truth that His work on the cross is indeed complete. And it did indeed accomplish its purpose. Commentator Ironside writes this, he says, His resurrection is the proof that redemption has been accomplished. Because of His perfect satisfaction in the work of His Son, God raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His own right hand, thus acknowledging Him as Lord and Christ. Had the body of the Lord Jesus Christ never come forth from the tomb, it would have been a silent evidence that He was either a deceiver or deceived, when he declared that he was to give his life for the ransom for many. It's true, isn't it? If Christ had not risen, then he's just a deceiver. He's a liar. You see, the resurrection is the proof that Christ is who he claimed to be, that he is indeed the eternal Son of God, and that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin, for my sin, for your sin. His resurrection confirms that he has accomplished what he came to do. You know, the resurrection really is the foundation of the gospel message, isn't it? You know, in Corinthians, Paul tells us that if Christ is not risen, our whole faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, then we have no reason to be here today or any other Sunday. If Christ is not risen, then we, like every other religion, serve a dead master. But Christ the Lord is risen today. Christ is alive. Lover, we serve a risen Savior. It's a glorious, wonderful truth. You see, because he is risen, we can be confident of eternal life. We can be confident that we ourselves one day shall rise. Indeed, these words to the women on that first resurrection Sunday, are some of the most glorious, most blessed ever heard, he is not here, for he is risen. But you know, the angel's not finished. The angel goes on to add to that. Look there again in verse 5, it says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. You know, these words, as he said, they're a gentle rebuke, aren't they? Just a gentle reminder that Christ had indeed promised that he would rise again. You know, earlier we saw Matthew 20. It was just one example where Christ clearly told his disciples that he would die, he would be buried and rise again on the third day. He clearly taught this. And this was done on numerous occasions, not just that one occasion in Matthew 20. Christ on numerous occasions had prophesied of his resurrection. And the angel here gently reminds the women of Christ's words. It's it's lovingly, it's gently, isn't it? He says, as he said. You see, Christ had risen just as he said, and by doing so, he proved himself to be exactly who he claimed to be, the eternal Son of God. His words were true. And then verse 6 concludes with the angel inviting them. He says, he is not here for he risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. The angel invites them to see for themselves this wonderful, glorious truth that the grave is indeed empty. In Mark 16, we learn that by this time, the women, they're already inside the tomb. And so the angel here is bidding them to come even closer, to to look closely at the place where the Lord lay, to go deeper within the tomb and to see for themselves the place where the body had been laid and to see the, 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 the state there, to see that his body's gone to see the Christ is no longer there. We learn from John 20 what exactly they saw when they went inside the tomb. Just go over there, John 20. <clears throat> John 20 and verse 5, it says, and he's stooping down, it's talking about Peter and John. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Now, of course, in John, it's talking about Peter and John, what they saw when they came, but the scene's the same, isn't it? Nothing's changed. And so this is what the women are confronted with as they enter in and they look where Christ's body had laid. What they see is the grave clothes just lying there on their own. What they see is the, the napkin that had covered Christ's face neatly folded and placed in a place by itself. You see, before them is not the scene of a grave robbery. Grave robbers would never have robbed the tomb and left the grave clothes behind, let alone folded them neatly. But the scene before them was further evidence that the angel's words were true, further evidence that Christ indeed had risen from the dead. Having seen for themselves the empty tomb, seen the evidence of Christ's resurrection, they're now exhorted by the angel to go and tell the disciples what they've seen. Just look there in Matthew 28, verse 7. It says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. The angel now says, don't keep the news to yourself. Go quickly, run. Tell his disciples what you've seen. Tell them the wonderful, blessed news that Christ is risen from the dead. And in verse 8, we see them do just that. It says in verse 8, and they departed quickly. From the Sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. they leave that morning with fear and joy in their hearts at what they've seen, what they've heard. they run to bring word to the disciples with fear and excitement they run to bring the wonderful news unto Christ's disciples, you know This morning, it's that same wonderful, glorious news that we rejoice in, is it not? It's that same wonderful, glorious message. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. We rejoice this morning because we serve a risen Savior. Not a dead master, we serve a risen Savior. We rejoice in the fact that He died on the cross to purchase our redemption. We rejoice in the fact that His death satisfied All of God's righteous demands concerning our sin. And the resurrection confirms this wonderful truth. Confirms that through Christ we can be saved. Beloved, let's praise God this morning that the grave is empty. Praise God that Christ is alive. Let us spread the wonderful glorious news. We serve a risen Savior. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this morning that we can gather together to remember the resurrection of our Lord. And Lord, it's just as important as as his death there on Calvary on, on Good Friday, Lord. Death and the resurrection, they go together. The resurrection confirms that everything Christ did on the cross did indeed satisfy your righteous demands. He purchased our redemption. Lord, we we thank you, we praise you this morning for the fact that we serve a risen Savior. We thank you, we praise you for the salvation that is ours through Christ. Lord, may we rejoice in you this day and we remember you this day and may we spread the wonderful, glorious news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.